Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue Podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County, Georgia Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our special guest, Ted Terry, first vice chair with the Democratic Party of Georgia, former mayor and current DeKalb County commissioner. Welcome to the show, Ted. We're happy to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Well, let's let our listeners know a little bit about you. At just 36 years of age, Ted Terry was the youngest mayor elected in the city of Clarkston's history, but he's no newcomer to politics. As a Georgia Democratic Party staffer, Ted trained canvassers and candidates for GOTV efforts, which is get out the vote efforts during the 2008 election cycle and for Barack Obama's first presidential campaign. Ted has participated in federal, state and local government and political issues since he was 17 years old. His main goal as first vice chair is to train, recruit, and energize the next generation of Democratic candidates at all levels of government across the state. Ted is also currently serving as a DeKalb County Commissioner on the Board of Commissioners. Wow, you're a busy guy. (laughs) You really are. So we appreciate all that you do. Tell us a little bit more about your background and history in, I assume, Georgia politics since you were 17. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm actually from Florida originally, Meryl. Don't hold that against me. Uh, Well, I'll try try not to, but go ahead. Uh, It feels like a lot of Georgians these days, they came from somewhere else. I didn't come from the North. I came from the South. (laughs) I came from Tallahassee, Florida. Went to school at the University of Florida. I got involved in politics freshman year of college. Actually, freshman year of college was September 11th, 2001. I was going to do a nutrition major. I was going to, you know, get my physician assistance license and be in the medical field because that was the industry to be in at the time. And then terrorist attacks happened. Mm-hmm. We went to war in Afghanistan, Iraq, and George W. Bush sort of at, at the time was the worst president ever until Donald Trump. So I just was like, I can't, you know, I can't sit on the sidelines. So I started getting involved in the protest movement, the anti-war movement. I uh, spent a lot of time organizing, protesting, doing rallies. I worked on a raise the minimum wage campaign in Florida. It was a constitutional amendment with ACORN, ironically, although <laughs> everyone remembers ACORN. Great work. They got a bad rap. But they were an amazing organization that helped get that minimum wage increase on the ballot. And, you know, I spent like four years organizing and protesting and I didn't really do electoral work. I just did a lot of kind of just get out there and make some noise. And George W. Bush got reelected. And I was like, well, wait a second. We did all this protesting. We did all this organizing. And then... Mm-hmm. He got reelected. What happened? And so I kind of became aware that, well, if you want to make a difference, you have to do it electorally. You have to elect people. You have to go out and knock on doors. You have to go out and persuade people, which decidedly protesting and rallies isn't a persuasion tactic. It's a mobilizing tactic. So I was missing the piece of the puzzle of politics, which is not, it's not all about mobilizing. It's about persuasion. It's about influencing. It's about leading by example. And so when I moved to Georgia in 2005, I got involved with the Sierra Club, Environment Georgia, the Human Rights Campaign. I literally was a door-to-door canvasser and knocked on doors for six months straight in Atlanta from the winter into the summer and raised money for progressive causes and just really sort of cut my teeth on being, you know, 
kind of one of the, the rank and file of a campaign worker, which is literally just knocking on doors. I went to work for Jane Kidd on her state Senate campaign in Athens. It was one of the top targeted state Senate campaigns in 06. Lost that campaign, but convinced Jane to run for chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia, and she won. And so I went to work for the state party during the 08 election cycle. So I was part of the Obama campaign, the DNC. I was an organizer. I was the office manager at first at the DPG office on Spring Street. If anyone remembers back when it was on 1100 Spring Street. And um, then I did, I ran Vote Builder. And I know every Democrat knows Vote Builder at this point. Mm-hmm. I was the first Vote Builder administrator. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's come a long way. But I remember when Vote Builder was just brand spanking new and everyone was like, oh my God, we can cut turf. This is amazing. Yeah, I worked a lot of campaigns. I worked for Congressman John Barrow for two election cycles. I worked for the AFL-CIO, worked for the Sierra Club. And actually, you dated me a little bit. I actually was 30 years old when I ran for mayor. And I'm not 36 now. I'm 38, Meryl. I'm getting older. Uh, you know how like when you turn 35, you're like, hey, I'm 35. Like, awesome. <laughs> and then when you turn 36, you're like, oh, well, you know, but I was just 35. Sure. And then when you turn 37, well, I'm closer to 35 than I am to 40. But then when you turn 38, you're pretty much on your way. <laughs> you're pretty much at 40. You're there. But it's not it is not dampened my resolve to help elect Democrats. And so around that same time, I ran for vice chair of candidate recruitment, served one term there. Then after the, the last election cycle, I ran for first vice chair and I've served in that role ever since. And so one of the things that I've worked on just at the state Democratic Party is working with some of our our county committees. I kind of joke like I'm the free consultant. (laughs) People call me all the time. They're like, how do I do robocalls? Like, what do you do for get out the vote? A big thing that we did last year, which I'm not sure if y'all were connected to Georgia Communications Group, you know, we worked a lot with Daniel Blackman's campaign, the Public Service Commission campaign. So I led sort of that coordinated effort to make sure that we supported Daniel being the third on the ballot behind uh, Wardock and Ossoff. And then we implemented a a targeted vote tripling strategy last year in in targeted counties that were sort of ready for that vote tripling GOTV tactic. If you don't know about vote tripling, ask me about it, but it is going to be the standard GOTV tactic in every election cycle moving forward. What is vote tripling? Can you explain that? Vote tripling is like every other campaign tactic. It's old school, just repackaged for the new era. Vote tripling is based on behavioral science and evidence-based research that shows that when someone votes, literally they've gone into the voting booth and they have voted, when they walk out, there is a sense of euphoria. People feel that they have accomplished something, that they have done something really meaningful because they have. Voting is the greatest expression of our democracy and our, of our freedoms. And you know, I, get, I get emotional about it because voting is like the number one thing you do. And when, but when people vote, they feel like, man, I did something. And that is the best time to ask them to do something. And, and so what we did in, uh, in democratic precincts, right? Because we don't know how people voted, but we generally assume this is a democratic precinct. We would wave people down. And we would say, hey, thanks for being a voter. Like, awesome. Like, high fives. (laughs) Um, Or during COVID, it was like air high fives. Can you, you know, can you remind three friends or family to vote? And then, you know, inevitably someone would say, oh, yeah, I could do that. And we would say, and the tactic that has been sort of changed because of behavioral science tells us, you ask them right now. You say, oh, well, can you just text them right now? Yeah, just go and pull your phone out. No, no, do that. Come on. I challenge you. Come on. Can you do that? You literally just ask them to text three friends right there in front of you. And by golly, Meryl, does it work? Wow, that, that's people good to know. Because they're, they're excited. They're like, I voted. And then they get to text other people, hey, I just voted. You should too. And so exactly. 
And this is, and part of the other aspect of the science is that there's a lot of voters that are unreachable. You know, whether you get too many text messages, I opted out. Too many digital ads, I opted out. Oh, I don't have a landline, can't get a robocall, can't get a live call. Oh, I work nights, can't knock on their door. Not in the right demographic or target audience, you're not going to get a digital ad. There's a lot of voters that are quite frankly unreachable through all the other campaign tactics. But if the mom or the, 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 the college friend or the next door neighbor texts you and says, hey, I just voted for Joe Biden and Ossoff and Warnock, you should too. Studies have shown that that is more persuasive than TV ads, digital ads, canvassing. It's the, it's the messenger. It's the trusted messenger. And so you have three, at least three, although sometimes people will text 10 people. They're so excited. They're like, I just voted. I'm going to get 10 people to vote. Like they'll do it, right? But we just ask them for three. And then, so it's a good trusted messenger, number one. And then lastly, it's a good use of volunteers' time. Because if you were to give a volunteer a task on election day and you gave them three things to do, I want you to stand outside on the corner and sign wave. I want you to go knock on doors or I want you to vote triple. Here's the order of efficacy. Sign waving, well, you don't talk to anybody. You just <laughs> you just wave at them. <laughs> so not very persuasive, not honestly, not the best use of a volunteer's time. But let's be honest, some people, all they'll do is sign wave. So just let them go out there and do it, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, let them, don't argue with them. If they want to do that, let them do it. But you, you tell them, hey, if you want to be really effective, here's what you can do. Now, if they, went, if they went and knocked on doors, studies have shown that you can, at most, if you're just doing GOTV canvassing where you're just hitting as many doors as possible, having quick conversations, you can potentially get 20 contacts an hour. That's high. It's more like seven to nine contacts an hour. If you did vote tripling, you're getting up to 44, up to 50 contacts in one hour. So from a volunteer's perspective or even a paid campaign perspective, it is the best bang for your buck, the best bang for their volunteer time, because they're just literally talking to more people. And because politics is all a numbers game, politics is literally about getting more votes than the other person. Having more contacts translates into more votes, which means it translates into more people winning. And lastly, I'll just say we're not talking about it's going to be the end all be all of a campaign. We're talking about a one to three percent increase in turnout. So it's not a huge number, but let's remember that runoff in January, 1%. 1% between the Senate being in control of Democrats or Mitch McConnell, you know, stopping everything Biden wanted to do. Exactly. And every vote matters. So how and why did you decide to run for office yourself after working as a staffer? What was that benchmark that made you or, or that moment when you decided that you needed to become more involved? Well, I think it really was going back to George W. Bush getting reelected. Okay. This is not right. How could, how could this happen? And so I kind of sort of knew that I wanted to run for office. I just didn't know when or where or even how. And so honestly, I just committed myself to working on every aspect of a campaign possible. I literally knocked on doors. I did operations. I did communications. I did digital. I did vote builder. I did fundraising. I did campaign management. I did you know policy and issues, everything, field. I did every aspect of a campaign until I found myself in Clarkston, Georgia, honestly, just living there temporarily. I was looking for a short-term stay while I worked on public service commission campaign in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I was able just to find, uh, I had a friend of a friend who was like, yeah, I, I got a friend who's looking to rent a room in Clarkston for like $400 a month. And I was like, $400 done. <laughs> like, <not only> new <laughs> It's in my price range, right? I was, I'm, I'm, I'm low maintenance. Uh -huh. And so I was living in Clarkston for a year and honest to God truth, our neighborhood 
is like a hilly neighborhood and a lot of neighborhoods ever all over America, people speed through the neighborhood. Sure. And the neighbors were like, Ted, you know, you, we, we know that you're, we were doing, we had a little block party one day and we were like playing basketball out on the cul-de-sac. We were barbecuing and some people are, you know, speeding through the neighborhood and the neighbors were like, yeah, I wish we could do something about that. They're like, Hey, Ted, we've got a good idea. We know that you're involved in politics. So why don't you go meet with the mayor and ask him for some speed bumps? <laughs> Well, you know, that's reasonable. I was like, of course, speed bump. I was like, you have lobbied members of Congress, lobbied public service commissioners. I can get some speed bumps from a small town mayor. Piece of cake. Guess what? The mayor was like, we're not doing speed bumps. Oh, no. (laughs) It was not having it. And I don't even get into why. It was just sort of an awful conversation. Um, And so I came back to my neighbors and sort of told them, I was like, look, he ain't going to do it. And they said, we've got a better idea. We think that you should run for mayor. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> and I was like, that's a great idea. And so I, I was like, and my mindset was, I'm probably going to lose. I don't, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm 30 years old. I look at these old Facebook photos and I'm like, I don't know how they elected me as mayor, this young kid, but I knocked on a lot of doors and I talked to a lot of people and I earned those votes. But I was very surprised when I won. I got 52% of the vote in a three-way race, defeated the incumbent, you know, 40 years older than I was. So I knew I wanted to run for office, but I didn't know when or where until the opportunity presented itself. And I felt called to serve my community. I really think that's a really important aspect of when we try to recruit candidates is we need people that have a purpose. And it can't just be like an ideological purpose or just like we're going to fight the Republicans in D.C., blah, blah, blah. We need to tie it back to something that's relevant to people's lives. For me, it was safer streets and safer sidewalks. Very simple, but it meant a lot to a lot of people. That's a great platform to run on. And by the way, did your neighborhood get the uh, speed bumps that they wanted? <laughs> oh my gosh. Can I just tell you that my, my and this is how annoying government is sometimes, it just takes forever to get things done. Sure. Bureaucracy. I got those speed bumps. It took me seven years. At my last year as mayor, we got those speed bumps installed. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations. Kudos. <laughs> So I'm like, I can leave as mayor. I'm good. I completed what I set out to do. And by the way, we did we did over $20 million in sidewalk, bike trail, park connectivity as well. We didn't just do speed bumps. I did a whole bunch of safer streets, safer sidewalks things. Wonderful. Great job. Well, let's circle back and talk about your position as first vice chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia and all the great stuff you're doing there. How do you go about mining, finding, recruiting candidates and encouraging people to run for office? Because it's so important, as you've made clear. How do you go about doing that? Well, we're really fortunate to have a great vice chair of candidate recruitment, Adrian White, who has done a stellar job. She's done a better job than I did when I was candidate recruitment vice chair. She really took, I think, what we started and really built upon it. My role as first vice chair is to sort of help at wherever I'm needed. I don't, there's not really a defined role for first vice chair. In fact, actually the first vice chair is technically on every single committee. So I try to go to all the committee meetings, but I can't go to every single one. When it comes to candidate recruitment, there's a lot of really important considerations and it comes down to timing and opportunity as well as sort of efficacy and, you know, viability. We always encourage counties 
to first think about, well, what are the local offices that really matter? Before you talk about Congress or state Senate or state house or public service commission, mm-hmm. let's talk about mayor and city council, school board and county commission. I don't think they have dog catchers. <laughs> they used to. So it's about like, like, let's find, let's focus in on where the most good can be done at the local level, because that's where a lot of the changes really can be made in a really tangible way. And we want Democrats to be in local offices because we want to show our neighbors and our constituents, no matter how red or blue a county is, we want to show them that Democrats know how to get things done, that they can see government not as an impediment, but as a benefit to society and not one that would you know, Republicans try to frame government as overreaching and overburdensome. Our belief is that government can be a force for good in society. And so we have to prove that. We have to prove that we can do things ethically, with integrity, efficiently, on budget. And and that and the local office is the best way to do that. So I always encourage to start local, especially when you have a commission or a city council or a school board that might actually be like a split vote. Can we recruit one person in this seat and flip a school board or flip a commission or a city council? Because that's where, again, if you're the lone Democrat on a commission, you know, you're always sort of fighting. But if you get three more votes on a five person commission, you got the majority and you can start legislating, actually acting and doing things. And so that's the second tier is what are the races where we can win and then get power to enact policies that will reflect our worldview of strengthening society and supporting our community, being a force for good in people's lives. And then there's always going to be this scenario where we have seats that are considered so far Republican, why even bother? And the answer to why we even bother in some of those districts is one, you never know. I've been in politics for 20 years and I have seen re- strong Republican districts not all the time, but on occasion flip Mm -hmm. because some crazy thing happened. Someone could get indicted. They could be, you know, stealing money from the petty cash drawer. You know, these things happen. Yes. I was at a county commission training the other day and they were talking about elected officials stole thousands of dollars from the petty cash drawer in a small county commission office. And it's like, what the hell? But guarantee you that person was going to get defeated their next election And if we didn't have a Democrat running against them, great opportunity. So you never know what's going to happen. And then lastly, understanding that gerrymandering is a thing. And we've seen all these districts that have been put forth. Republicans are cementing their positions. But these are the districts we're going to have for the next 10 years. So we know that some of these districts they've drawn are actually competitive. And some of them actually might be competitive in year four, six, or even eight. And so we need to have sort of the long-term perspective for some of those districts. And then the last piece is that they can't gerrymander Georgia into Alabama. So Georgia is becoming more democratic. If we can increase turnout, even just by five or 10%, mm-hmm. or in the case of like vote tripling, one to 3% in some precincts, we're going to win governor. We're going to win Senate. We're going to win public service commissioner. We're going to win insurance commissioner. We're going to win labor secretary. We're going to win ag commissioner, secretary of state. We're going to win all attorney general, all these statewide offices that are so, so important. And the margins are going to be the same as in the runoff. We're going to have 51-49, 50-50 races statewide for the foreseeable future. And if it means running someone in an 80% Republican district, and they can make it a 78% Republican district on that election cycle, and that 2% goes to Stacey Abrams, that 2% goes to Warnock, all of that adds up, we win statewide. So it's not a sacrificial lamb situation. It is a Go into it with a purpose, go into it with a clear eye and understanding that, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. 
this district may flip one day, or I'm going to represent the Democratic Party and I'm going to help turn out Democrats in my district or my precincts because it's going to help us keep Georgia blue. How concerned are you as a DPG officer about SB202 speaking of voter turnout and the ensuing suppression of voter rights by Republicans in Georgia? What are your thoughts regarding turnout for the midterms, which are so critically important to our future? Yeah, it's a great question. We're dealing with this actually on the county commission in DeKalb because DeKalb Board of Elections, we approved their budget. All the county commissions approve county board of elections budgets. And let me just tell you, the board of elections budgets are have gone up because of the new restrictions. It is costing more to run an election. So just mm-hmm. from a local taxpayer perspective, we have to spend more money unnecessarily on this, all this extra stuff that isn't even securing an election. It's actually disenfranchising people. Uh, So that's number one, it's wasteful and inefficient. Number two, I think the practical response, and I think we saw this in the municipal elections here in Atlanta and here in some of the DeKalb and all these municipals around the state, absentee ballot turnout was abysmal. And the reason why is they have made it really hard to vote by mail. Right. Like voter turnout was remarkable in a pandemic because like 60% of the people voted by mail. Exactly. So by the time you got to the polling to early voting election day, there was no lines. And so what we saw in this last municipal election is basically what's going to happen. I mean, it's just the, it's the result. It's too hard to vote by mail. They've made it hard. They've, they've reduced the time to which you could return a ballot. So if you saw the Atlanta Journal-Constitution a couple of days ago, they pointed out that half of all absentee ballots that were returned that were filled out and sent in by the voter were rejected because they, they sent it in too late. Oh my. They used to be, you could send it in the Friday before the election, which, you know, arguably that was cutting it kind of close, mm-hmm. but the Republicans said you had to move it back 11 days, which, which really doesn't make sense. It should have just been like the Monday before the election or the Monday before the, you know, next Monday before the election was seven days. So they, they curtailed the time to vote by mail. Now, they did increase the opportunities for early voting. So what we're going to have to do strategically and tactically is we're going to have to, one, develop a better absentee ballot process, understanding that it's harder to do absentee ballot requests because they're making it harder through the digital, you know, the online portal, right? So we're going to have to come up with a better strategy there. But really what it's going to end up forcing us to do is to be more on our game for early vote. We're going to have to really, really push souls to the polls. We're going to have to really, really push Saturday voting. We're going to have to work with Board of Elections where we have friendly Board of Elections that care about voting access to extend the times, right? They can extend their times beyond what the state mandates to a certain extent. But what you hear from Board of Elections is, oh, it costs money. You're going to pay more people. Well, that's that's fine. You know, that's fine. If it means staying open another two hours so someone can get home from work and vote early, that's worth an, a 4% increase in your budget because that means that people can vote. So I think that's the practical reality. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it's, again, like you're not going to get everyone to early vote. And so we're going to be in the mad dash as we always had been in previous elections to get people to vote on election day. And that's why vote tripling is so important. You can vote triple at every early vote site. You can vote triple on election day. It's the way to make up for some of that voter suppression. Because again, having that trusted messenger encourage someone to vote who might otherwise be like, oh, I don't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. It's going to help push them over the edge to vote. I would add on that enthusiasm is the biggest concern. We saw it in Virginia. It wasn't a turnout issue per se, because Democrats increased their turnout by 17% from the last governor's election, but Republicans increased their turnout by 35%. 
What does that mean? It means Republicans were more motivated. They were more enthusiastic about voting. I believe the issue there was CRT, critical race theory, being taught in schools. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll, find, they'll find something to motivate the voters. So we need to be very intentional about what motivates our voters. It's difficult because, again, I always come back to local issues. I think that local issue, embedding local messaging, especially when we're trying to get people to go all the way down the ballot or even vote for the top of the ticket, there needs to be some connection to someone's life. What is the reason why you're voting and why someone being the secretary of state or attorney general or senator is actually going to make their lives better? It's harder, though, because we have a bigger tent. Right. Yes. Not as cut and dry as low taxes and national security and stopping critical race theory. They just throw out the one thing that the propaganda machine has sort of you know downloaded into people's brains. And it just becomes like a, a switch. <laughs> Everyone just votes. Republicans just vote. So yeah, we're, we're, we're up against some structural issues as well. I believe our messaging is a bit more complex than the Republicans' messaging. And sometimes it's hard to communicate that. So would you agree that Democrats need to work on their messaging, maybe being able to get the message across in a more simplistic fashion? Do you think that would be helpful? So yeah, we have to work. We always have to adapt and, and update our messaging for what the current election cycle is. Sure. Right? Right. Like just talking about Medicaid expansion, again, is not going to do it. We're going to have to get some wedge issues in there. We're going to get some, you know, I want to fight issues in there. Mm-hmm. But I still come back to the tactics because it's the messenger and it's how we get the message to the people. This is just basic campaign 101. If you want to persuade someone to vote, we can't just rely on base turnout because it waxes and wanes. We have to have a persuasion strategy. And persuasion strategy means spending time with people. There's this concept that was introduced years ago, but it's kind of come back in vogue called deep canvassing. And the basic theory, Meryl, says that when you knock on someone's door, you spend 15 minutes minimum with them. Wow. <laughs> knock on a door in Blue Ridge. Just wanted to introduce myself and let you know that I'm with the you know Fanning County Democratic Party and we're really concerned about this local issue here and we also are concerned about these other environmental you have a conversation with someone mm-hmm. and the only way that you elicit people to really tell you what they think is you got to spend time with them and of course the challenge of that is you know you spend 15 minutes per voter four hours you've only talked to like 10 people sure but they'll remember you and those people will definitely be more motivated to vote and take action yeah that's right. Deep canvassing works both ways sure. because if you find a Democrat who's like, oh, you know, I don't want to go to no meeting or this or that, you, you can win them back over because you're like, no, here's what all the Democrats are doing. But if you find someone who's an independent and, you know, especially depending on, again, the cycle, Donald Trump was our friend last year because he was the, the most awful polarizing president. So it was just easy to get people motivated because they were, because we all we had to be was look at this crazy person. Right. We're, we don't have that opportunity in 2022. We can't go to someone and say, Brian Kemp is crazy because he's not crazy. He's just a Republican. But now what's their motivation? What is Brian Kemp doing to them that is the worst? Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a list of things that he's doing that are really bad. But, you know, we're going to have to spend a little bit more time to get into those issues and then get ourselves relevant. And one thing I will mention, though, that I thought was brilliant by Stacey Abrams, what she did with Fight, they bought a million dollars of medical debt. Mm. And that medical debt was actually 18 plus million dollars in medical debt because, you know, they sell it for pennies in the dollar. It's like 40,000 people got a letter that said, Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight just paid off your medical debt. Now, can you imagine if the Democratic Party 
had a fundraising formula that said 5% of every dollar that is raised by the Georgia Democrats goes into our medical debt relief fund because Medicaid is our top issue. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine over the span of a couple election cycles, we would literally raise millions of dollars to pay off tens of millions of dollars of Georgians' medical debt? That would be incredible. Talk about being relevant to people who were losing. I think that we just got to be really intentional about coming back to how we're relevant to our own people. You always hear it. All politics is local. Sure. But we got to do it. We actually got to embody it. Absolutely. At every turn. So speaking of rural areas, which we are in, it's difficult to find Democrats that will speak out and get to the polls. So what is the DPG doing to help rural congressional districts like ours find and recruit viable candidates. How can the DPG help us with that? I would say the one thing that we could do a better job on is training our county committee leaders on how to interrupt toxic behavior, how to mediate conflict, because these are things that you have to learn how to do, either the trial and error or go through a training. And that kind of really comes back to running for office because 99% of people in our community have no interest in running for office because it is tough. (laughs) It is, and it can be expensive as well. You don't get paid well. You don't get very good benefits. You have to work extra hours. Did I mention you don't get paid very well? (laughs) You brought that up. People come and yell at you every month. Like, Can I just tell you, like seven years, I had seven years of monthly council meeting. And can I tell you, there was never a meeting where someone did not come and yell at me. Oh my. Yeah, certainly not for the faint of heart. You develop a thick skin and a develop a way to kind of laugh it off. But man, like I've had some moments where I'm like, this this is awful. Like this is the worst job ever. Sure. <laughs> right this moment. <laughs> Makes sense. But it's always worth it in the end. And and we're so lucky to have you. Well, Ted, if someone listening to this podcast wants to get involved, wants to speak with you directly about certain issues or what have you, where would you send them? Anyone can always email me at ted, T-E-D, at georgiademocrat.org, ted at georgiademocrat.org. Anyone who's listening, I always encourage, go to georgiademocrat.org, find your county committee, find out when the next meeting is, find out who the chair is, find out who the, the leadership is, and email them and find out what's going on. There's always going to be folks who are just like, well, I just want to volunteer during the election, which is great. And we love you and we'll have you every hour you can give during the election. But if you were interested in building the movement, building the Democratic Party, building that that local bench of local leaders that will win elections and make policy changes that will impact your neighborhoods and your downtowns. There are positions of power that exist at the local level that are designed to address them. If the person in there isn't doing the job, then run against them or be a part of building the movement to find someone who's the right person Mm -hmm. in the right time, the right energy, the right qualifications to run for that position to win. And then the great thing about winning an election is you get to go and work with the people to enact policy changes. And that sometimes is the hardest part. You make all these promises to people and and then they elect you. They expect you to follow through on it. And so, you know, we want to follow it through. And so they always say voting is the the first step. The the next two to five steps are actually getting involved. Yes. Being on a a local committee, volunteering, helping council member pass an ordinance that's going to allow speed bumps in neighborhoods, right? It all matters. It's so critical. So you never know. Everything, all politics local, it all affects us. So, yes. so get involved. In, and I, I'll just speak for my 20 years of being involved in democratic politics. Um, it's it's a really rewarding 
and gratifying experience. It's a lot of hard work, Mm -hmm. but like anything in life, when you put a lot of work and energy into it and you're successful, people say they wish they spent more time with their friends, family, their neighbors, with their community. And politics literally is that. Politics is us being with our people, with our community, being a part of the solution. And I guarantee you at the end of your life, you will say, man, I did a lot of really good time. And made a difference. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I ask all my guests this question, and this is my final question for you. Tell us a fun fact about yourself, something not involved with politics or with the Democratic Party, something about you that our listeners might be interested in learning about. I thought I was going to be a professional runner, like cross-country runner. I won the gold medal of the Junior Olympics my junior year of high school in the 4,000 meter steeplechase. Congratulations. That's quite the accomplishment. It really is. Oh, that was a tough race. I barely won it. The steeplechase is the, is the giant hurdle on the track that if you run into it, it does not move. And there's a, a water pit, you know, they fill with water. They literally fill it with water and you, you got to jump over the hurdle into the water and then keep running. So it's a hard race, but yeah, that's a fun fact. I got, I have a gold medal. It's somewhere in my attic in my parents' house. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Ted, for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work to support Democrats and maintain our democracy. I'm Meryl Clark, and on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue Podcast. To learn more about us and the work that we're doing, visit us online at FannonCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. Share the North Georgia Blue Podcast with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe and follow. If you enjoy our podcast, consider becoming a founding patron and friend of the show at NorthGeorgiaBluePodcast.com slash patron so we can continue getting into more good trouble.